The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, it's true crime Tuesday. Welcome to the Failure to Stop podcast channel, the number one channel where police go to get entertained, informed with five, almost six great shows every week, everything different for a different type of first responder. And we welcome you guys to the channel. We got a little bit of something for everybody here, a little true crime, informed breakdown, some comedy on Mondays, some more news on Wednesdays, Com Center on Thursdays. So stick around. If you, if you don't like one show, you might find that you love another. If you don't like one host, you might find that you love another. Just search around a little bit, figure it out. But this is the number one channel where the where <laughs> police meet society and culture. Brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash wolfpack. I am here with the audacious Andrea Play. What's going on, Andrea? What's going on? What can you hear me? Go okay. Down tonight. Can you hear me good? You got the uh I can hear you good. I can hear you okay. just fine. Uh, we are breaking down the uh, unsolved ASHA degree case. Before we dive into this one, I want to just say thank you so much to the Bar is Open podcast for throwing me this awesome t-shirt. Had a really great episode being on you guys' show with my son. Very special night for me. So the Bar is Open, Beth and Greg, thank you. The chats might have been more wild before the show than they've ever been. Uh, we've got one of the people in the wolf pack shaving with Manscaped in the shower while bleaching <laughs> his shower. I'm not sure that's safe at all. Um, and then we're at like day 13 with uh, at Will Cray. That's at W-I-L-L-K-R-E-W still being single. Way too good looking of a guy. Way too young of a guy to be that single. Um I don't know. Maybe it's because he's here every Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday. Maybe that's why he's not finding the love of his life. But um, we're all here for him, and we're we're all rooting for you, Will Cray. We hope that you find love in all the right places. I uh, heard you got your factor meals in. I did. So I got them uh, today, and it was a fun little you know, I never splurge for that kind of thing. I never get those boxes like that. So I was super pumped to go through it. And I didn't realize that they came prepared. I didn't know. I thought they were like some of the other ones where you have the raw ingredients that you cook. But guys, no. these come prepared. They're ready to go. You throw them in the microwave. And so there were things like sun-dried chicken over a risotto. And I mean, I can't wait um, to try those. I did already drink one of the smoothies. So I got the smoothies. Oh, smoothies we were talking are really about. good. Everybody's yes. been talking about the smoothies on the team. Oh. Uh, what's his name? Was just uh, Our producer was just drinking one of the smoothies before the oh show. I had the jalapeno cheddar chicken um, last night. And I think um, Jay Durrell, he had the blackened pork chop. And we had dinner before the show together. He brought his, <laughs> he brought his uh, factor over. To the house and I heated up my factor, but uh, go to factormeals.com and use that promo code Wolfpack50. That's Wolfpack, the number five and the number zero, and they get you 50% off. And I don't know if you're going to be as cool as we are, but I, we got like a, a gift card for some wine to go with our dinners. Yeah. Listen, if you're working hard and you're uh, you're in the, the squad room, you're one of these little first responders and all your little peasant buddies are whipping out those PB and J's, you can 
pick out a calorie conscious meal or a protein heavy meal, a vegan meal, whatever menu you choose from factor. They've got hundreds of recipes on there. You just yeah. go down there and click which ones you want, or you can bundle them together and do like little bundles and have your little, I mean, you can have these, you can have like three of these meals delivered If you work three days a week, five days a week, already prepared. All you got to do. So while all the peasants are eating PB and J's, uh, Oh, you're not even allowed to eat peanut butter anymore. Oh, I forgot. I forgot about Why? all those. Oh, there's all the fucking people with the things, the disease that you can't eat peanut butter. You can they got all the signs around the office like, oh, don't eat peanut butter in the office because, you know, you know, dead leg is going to lose his leg. If you, I'm just kidding. Listen, I got five kids. I'm sure one of them's one on a, one of them probably suffers from peanut allergy, but I guess we'll, we'll die. To finding be determined out. to we'll die TBD. finding out. TBD. We'll die finding out because I'm not raising a kid in my home without peanut butter. He'll just figure it out. You know, it's like those cat lovers that really love cats. And they're like, I don't care if my kid's allergic to this cat. I'm going to keep the cat because the cat's more important. That's how I feel about my peanut butter. Kid can't sorry. Sorry, Augie. Go die somewhere else. You're bothering me. Trying to watch The Office over here. Drew uh, said but that no, the blackened pork chop smoothie is out of this world. Maybe <laughs> that'll be in my next box. <laughs> hey, Drewzy. <laughs> oh, yeah. The blackened pork chop smoothies to die for. Uh, you know, guys, listen. Oh, and then uh, last but not least, the um, mybookie.com. Promo code Wolfpack. Look, go sign up right now. The fight is this weekend. If you want to gamble with me live on the interwebs, one, you got an in, you got to send us a DM on the Instagram. Let us know that you want to participate. And two, you got to go to mybookie.com and use the promo code Wolfpack um, and sign up. It's going to get you a bunch of different bonuses. We're going to be doing entertainment bets for the fight on the 29th, which is a Saturday. I'm telling you, you don't freaking get up in there and you don't get in the DMs. I'm going to stop checking these DMs around Thursday. And I'm not going to let you into the little group chat where we're live watching the fight together, group chat and on my own personal cell phone with all you guys. So if you want to get my digits and you want to hang out with us, yeah, bet I go to myboogie.com forward slash. Yeah, bet. All right. Enough of the bullshit. Enough of the bull. No, no, no. Enough of the malarkey, as uh, somebody like malarkey. Drew Brees would say. That's enough malarkey for one evening. Enough shenanigans. Let's dive into some true crime. I got a full glass of wine and I'm tired of talking. What do we Let's got? Do Asher Degree. We do. Yeah, it's Asher Degree. Uh, before that, let me give you a couple of updates and a couple of little pop culture thing ruse here. All right. So, this case takes place in the year 2000. Real quick, do you remember, I think we've done this before, on, it was on Conan O'Brien, and they had the clip where he and Andy did that with the flashlights in their faces, and they'd sing, uh, <laughs> in the year 2000, in the year 2000. Somebody in the chat, somebody's got to remember that. It was hilarious. Um, but pop culture-wise, in the year 2000, Mission Impossible 2 was released. X-Men was released. The Real Slim Shady was released. Okay. By the way, everybody's going Real Slim Shady right now. All the celebs going full Slim Shady this year. Don't know why. Even Ryan Sheckler, one of my faves, going full Slim Shady. All of them are doing it. Uh, Pete Davidson, full Slim Shady right now. Um, what does that mean? With the, you know, the Slim Shady, the, the bleached blonde hair. Oh, the hair. No. Hey, Deadleg, if you'll, real quick, just... Um, go find all the celebrities right now with bleached hair. They're all doing it. Um, I'll find what's uh, Jonah Hill's doing it again? Dude, he so many. Is weird. It's very weird. Um, one of the uh, female chicks, she just shaved her head and went full blonde too. Anyway, maybe I'll do that. Um, Blink 182's All the Small Things. That was the year all 2000. The small small things. Things. Now their tickets are $800 a piece for the tour. 
Um, Microsoft launches Windows 2000. That's currently what I'm running, in case anyone wondered. CSI mm -hmm. crime scene investigation was on the TV. And Hillary became a U.S. Sen senator of New York. A U.S. citizen. So in the year 2000, things started ramping up for that sweet gem of a lady. Uh, what else have we got here? You guys. Okay, so for crime updates, last week we covered the Rex Huerman case, which is the Long Island serial killer case. It was something that began potentially in the 80s, definitely into the 90s. All the way up, he was still using a burner phone as of this past year. So I would contend to say that he's not stopping what he started. Uh, but he would—he was arrested in connection with three of the four, the Gilgo four girls, as they were deemed, uh, that were found back then. Anyway, the search continues. He has property in New York. He lived in Massapequa. Uh, he worked in Manhattan. And then we learned that he also had property. He purchased quite a bit of acreage in South Carolina. His brother lives down there, too. Maybe he planned to go find Alec Murdoch and they were going to kick it together. He did plan to retire down there. They've now seized a vehicle that was associated with him, a dark green Chevy Avalanche down at his South Carolina, South Carolina property. Also, they are starting to look for evidence and potential remains in South Carolina. We also know that he had a timeshare in Las Vegas. So if you are in Vegas... We know that his victimology was um, sex workers and Las Vegas has plenty of them and plenty of desert. So not to speculate, I do think this is the tip of the iceberg with him, though, and I'd be very surprised to find that. I feel like just bodies are everywhere. When you know, where he, you know where he wasn't trying that? In a small town? <laughs> I should have. Why didn't I know? Why didn't I know? It's true. It's very true. Uh, so we're keeping an eye on that as that goes on. Uh, he's not said a lot. Obviously there's not much for him to say he's lawyered up, but that's going to be interesting as it continues. Now, listen more over here in my neck of the woods in. So Eric, you know, Topsail beach, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in North Carolina in a town called Hampstead, I'm just going to read straight from the article. Oh, I, uh, my favorite place to skateboard is in Hampstead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love skate that park. skate park. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. Just skated with them the other day. At the barn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the skate barn. Um, three bodies. This was a couple of days ago. Three bodies of young men were found in a car. Sunday. It was Sunday morning at the Speedway gas station on Highway 17. So that would be about. Exactly where it's at. Yep. That's like 10 minutes from where the skate barn is. Mm -hmm. uh, it says. Oh, the U.S. Marine Corps 2nd Marine Logistics Group said on Tuesday that the three were Marines and he, they identified them. Lance Corporal Tanner Kaltenberg, who was 19. Mm -hmm. uh, Lance Corporal Merrick's Dockery, who was 23. And Lance Corporal Ivan Garcia, who was also 23. They All they've said is that they ruled out overdose and they've said nothing else. Um, so choked these on, Choked on crayons? three were oh. in a car dead and that's a that, like that's too soon that's a a decent that's a good part of town whatever it's not far from lejeune guys if you're not familiar a lot of marines are in that area because camp lejeune is right there um but uh, that's crazy so we'll be following that too that's and yeah, that's wild and they're, they're like they're not thinking it's like a fentanyl overdose or like what are like they, the drill sergeant leave them in the car percent ruled out overdose now 
Think Staff about, sergeant left him in the car while he ran in to grab some beer and met an old lady. Forgot to roll the windows down for the listen. Think about the um, what are they calling it? The rainy street. What is it? The one the, in Texas that was like killing all those young men, but they found them drowned. Oh. They were drowned. But I don't, I don't know. We had a rash of this a few years ago, like in Wilmington. I think a bunch of Marines were winding up um, murdered. So I don't know. It's we'll keep an eye on it. It's a weird super one. scary. Yeah. All right, guys, so let's dive into it, and then we'll talk shop at the end. Uh, we're going to be talking about a missing unsolved case. You know, I, I, I don't like those. I like to cover those. Um, from 2000, <clears throat> excuse me, actually also out of North Carolina. It's from Shelby City or Cleveland County, North Carolina. Uh, and the little girl's name is Asha Degree, A-S-H-A Degree. Uh, she was born on August 5th, 1990, and she has been missing since Valentine's Day of 2000. She was nine years old when she went missing. Um, there's Asha on the screen, cute little girl, uh, hair and pigtails, uh, and we'll talk more about her specifically here in a moment. Like I said, she was born in 1990, and she lived at home with her mom and dad. Her mom was Akila, and her dad is here, Akila, 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 and her dad is Harold, and her older brother, O'Brien. So he was, her brother was about a year her senior. Uh, she was a fourth grader in the year 2000 and was nine years old. She lived at 3404 Oak Crest Street in a duplex. So um, this street was a pretty sleepy street. I mean, there were houses around it. Uh, and a duplex, if you're not familiar, is kind of like hers in particular. I think we have a picture of it. Uh, it looks kind of like a ranch style home, but you have two different do different entrances because two families live there, right? So they're separated. They don't go to each other's side, but they are separated. There's a carport on either side. So some of the sources will call, will refer to it as an apartment. And so I think that gets a little confusing because that kind of changes what things might look like for the morning that she went missing. Uh, but it is in fact that duplex right there. What town is that in? That was in Shelby city, North Carolina. So Shelby city is about 50 miles West of Charlotte. So Charlotte, you know, is a big hub. Um, and they're about an hour west of Charlotte there. So uh, kind of mid, mid to west North Carolina, if you're, if you're picturing the state on a map. Um, in the year 2000, I believe Shelby City had a population of 20,797 people. So not a very, not a very populated town. Um, so her grandmother, aunt, uncle also lived on that street. So she had quite a bit of family in the town and particularly in her neighborhood on her street. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So her mom, Akila, worked first shift at a place called the Kaiwai American Company. And her dad, Howard, worked second shift at a loading dock at a company called PPG. So Asha and her brother, O'Brien, would have a little bit of alone time after school, you know, kind of latchkey kids for a small amount of time. So they'd get home, they rode the bus to and from, uh, and they would get home and have a window of basically free time where their mother says that that's when they would kind of have a snack and complete their homework, often getting it done before she gets home from work. So, <clears throat> uh, so I said that they ride the bus, but on Friday, February 11th, all right, the Cleveland County schools were closed for the day. So they were going to have a long weekend away from school, but there's some, you know, they had to be taken care of too. They're only nine and 10 at the time. So they weren't going to be home. Mom and dad didn't want them home all day long while they were at work and the kids are at school. So they went and stayed uh, at their aunt's house, Keisha degree during the day while mom was at work. And so then that evening, both kids had basketball. 
these are pretty uh, active kids with just normal activity stuff, right? Sports and school and whatnot. So they had practice that evening at their school, Falston Elementary. Uh, they went on home. Everything was normal. That was, like I said, Friday, February 11th. And then on Saturday, the 12th, they had they both had basketball games. Um, <clears throat> you'll read some reports that like the kids were sheltered and, and all of this. I don't believe so. I think that the, the only thing that would and even this doesn't make them sheltered. They didn't have a computer at home because mom said that she was, you know, of course, concerned about outside influences, computers and the Internet was still vaguely new to a lot of people in the year 2000. It wasn't everywhere. I don't think it's odd that she didn't have a computer in the year yeah, 2000. Yeah, we didn't get a computer until, well, I guess it would have been more like 98. Yeah, I mean, late 90s. So I don't. I, think mean, I wasn't allowed 90s. on it. I wasn't allowed to just have like free reign on that thing. And there wasn't much free reign to have, right? At the very beginning, there weren't many websites. I mean, it's just, so the year 2000, I don't find it odd or I don't find them to be sheltered at nine and 10 for the family home, not to have a computer. You could access them at school or at a public library at that time. And that's what a lot of people did because they didn't have them. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So on Saturday, like I said, both kids had basketball games. It's kind of that, you know, that game situation you go, it's loud in that gymnasium, all the little girls like, Pony League games play first, then the boys. So the girls' team played first. Uh, so Asha was up to play. They had been undefeated. There's a reason I'm telling you a little bit about her basketball because later some people think this has something to do with her, um, with this case. I, I don't. But Asha was fouled out three minutes before the game was over. The buzzer rang. They lost. Again, they had been undefeated until this moment. Asha cried. She was very upset about it. But so did a lot of other little girls on the team. I don't find that to be um, one abnormal. of the parents get like super pissed and go. No, to, I think that they, they like, no, I think that they had been undefeated and they were excited and thought, you know what I mean? It was the first time they lost. And, you know, I just think in their little girls and they were nine years old. I don't think it's odd that they cried. Um, but it's also said that pretty soon right after, I mean, within a few minutes, they all kind of, you know, got it together. She was fine. Cause then she sat and watched her brother play. She was laughing, eating snacks. So she was fine. It didn't like ruin her day or anything. Um, God, kids were so much tougher in the two thousands. You see that they fucking, they would lose a game and then they'd get over it and watch another game. Mm -hmm. Like now we can't even lose games. Cause like it's a tie every time for like nine year olds. Well, and that was something that I was reading about, too, when I was reading about this case. Someone pointed out the difference that, like, in the year 2000, for a nine-year-old pony league like, that, league like that, they're still describing players. They're still keeping every track of points, you know, and fouls and this and that. Now, where my kids play, they still did that, but I know a lot don't these days. Um, <clears throat> so she continues to go on about her day. She watches her brother play ball. Then they go home and change and she goes over to a cousin's house where I think it said between 10 and a dozen little girls are over there for a sleepover. So it's like a cousin, a bunch of cousins and friends and things like that. So I think they st said that they stayed up pretty late, as you can imagine, listening to music and watching movies and dancing. Just being it wouldn't it wouldn't stay up late if they all had ghost beds. If you laid those girls down on a ghost bed with ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack, saving you up to 50% off, or you can go over there and bundle, get 35% off on all the extra things like the pillows and the curling sheets. Those kids would be knocked out right away. If you're using melatonin for a child that's not even in middle school yet, why don't you try a ghost bed first? Lay him down on a ghost bed. See if that knocks him out before we start going the route of the uh, the medications. Just give it a shot. If you're having mental health, mental illness issues, just give it a shot. If we spend all that money 
on like uh, counseling and all those things. Just try getting a good night's sleep first. Mental health starts with a good night's sleep and a good diet. That's why we're proud to partner with people like GhostBed and Factor. Head over to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and get you some sleep that's so good. It's freaking daggone scary. It's scary. But seriously, though, uh, those pillows and the cooling sheets, like I thought that the mattress was a game changer. And then I got the pillow and the cooling sheets and I was like, never mind. Now it's a game changer. I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Back to you, Andrea. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. So now it's uh, Sunday morning. So again, she had slept over with her friends and cousins, uh, had a fun little sleep overnight with her, with all of them. So it's Sunday morning and I'm sure she's exhausted, but her mom and dad and brother come pick her up from her friend's house to go to church. They had service at around 11 that morning um, and they attended the Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, Their service, like I said, was around 11 o'clock. And then soon after church was over, just around noon, the family members Uh, They went to a family member's house after church for food and, you know, just a gathering that they did pretty regularly. Uh, Excuse me. So they had a pretty routine schedule where mom and dad worked uh, Monday through Friday. Kids are at school Monday through Friday. Friday night would be your basketball practice. Saturday was the games. Sunday was the church. And like I said, often to a family member's house for lunch afterward. Um, So sounds like a pretty typical family, I would assume. Uh, Eventually, they all head home. At this point, Asha is very tired because she'd been up late the night before and then going, going, going all day that Sunday. So around 630 that evening, that Sunday evening on the 13th, she went to her room to take a little nap. Well, a big storm rolled in and around 830, she was awoken by the sound of the storm, right? So she comes into the living room to hang out with her mom and dad and brother and watch some TV So at 9 p.m., a car hit a telephone pole uh, not far from their home, and that knocked out electricity on a lot of the grid of their county, including their home. So they were without power at that time around 9 p.m. So around midnight, Harold walks over to Alicia and tells her, or Asha, and tells her to wake up. She was on the couch dozing, you know, and so it's about midnight. He tells her to go onto her bed. He watches her get in the bed, you know, tucks her in, whatever. He goes back and continues to uh, watch TV, and he finally goes to bed at 2.30. Now, keep this in mind. Harold worked second shift. So 2.30 to go to bed for him isn't really a big deal. Some people have talked about that. There is some, like, differing information, so that's why I don't really want to touch on it too much about whether or not he worked that day. Normally, he didn't work Sundays. Uh, Some people think think that he had been at work and come home. And then there's also talk about that he left the home to go get candy around, or I'm sorry, not candy, but to leave the home around 10 or 11 that night uh, and came back. Again, that's not corroborated really anywhere or by Harold. He's never said that he did that, but a lot of the sources say that he like came home and then left to go to the store and come back. If he did go to the store, I'm still not certain that he did. If he did, I don't think that that's unheard of. Again, like I said, he worked second shift. Him leaving the house at 1030 at night is not the biggest deal in the world. And the next day was Valentine's Day. So not only let's hypothesize on why he might need to make a last minute late night run to the store. Maybe the kids had Valentine's parties, right? Or also his anniversary with his wife was the next day. 
So, oh. you know, he could he go probably, he's anywhere. probably sitting there was like, you know, back oh, then it was commercials. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah. So, uh, again, he never said he left the house and the mom never said he left the house either. So I kind of don't even think that he did. But in the few sources that mention him leaving, I, I don't find that to be odd, even if that is what happened at all. Um, so he tells her to go on and get in her bed at, mi at midnight, like I said. So at 2.30, he goes to bed. He opens the door and checks. Now, O'Brien and... Asha shared a room. So this duplex was a two bedroom. Okay. So mom and dad are in one room and the sibling children are in the other room. So he, he peeks in and O'Brien and Asha are both sound asleep. <clears throat> so after that, now her brother O'Brien, of course he was 10 at the time when they, when he was asked, of course he was questioned quite a bit. He said that he saw her get up to go to the bathroom around that time, not long after dad checked on them. He said he remembered seeing her because he kind of woke up in the light and, you know, with squinty eyes, saw her coming back from the restroom and getting back in bed and that she was wearing her white nightgown with the red stripe down the side, the same nightgown that she wore almost every night to bed. He also said that it seemed like later that night, again, he can't give times. He's 10. It's the middle of the night that later after that, he heard her bed like squeak and he didn't think anything about it at all because it just, you know, sounded like she was rolling over or just adjusting in bed. So, you know, he kind of barely woke him and he went back to sleep. So <clears throat> at 545 that morning, <clears throat> Akilah wakes up and gets the day started. So she goes to wake the children around 630, which is earlier than they usually wake up, but usually they bathe at night. So remember the night before was the power outage and all that stuff. So she's trying to get them to get bathed and ready for school a little bit earlier than their normal time. So she starts bath water and opens the door to the kids room. So she <clears throat> says the children's names and O'Brien sits up sleepily, starts to crawl out of the bed and Asha did not. So she looks at her bed and she's not there and she removes the covers and she's not there and she asked O'Brien, where is she? Has she already woken up for the day? And he's looking around. He said, no, I don't, you know, he didn't know where she was. And she even checks like the other side of his bed because sometimes Asha would get scared at night and go sleep on the other side of his bed, like on the floor. Um, and she wasn't over there. So she's not super alarmed at first, I think just confused. So she starts to go through the house. This was not a very big house, guys. So she starts to go through and checks the living room and the kitchen, the bedroom again, the closets. And then she um, opens the door and looks outside and checks the cars. Like for some reason, has she gotten in the car? You know, she's just confused. She goes back to her bedroom and quickly starts to get dressed while she's telling Harold, I can't find Asha. Like she's nowhere to be found. She's not in the house. Um, so she, he said that maybe he suggested that potentially Asha was at the grandmother's house. So the grandmother lived across the street. So he said, maybe she's, maybe she's gone to grandma's. So she calls grandma. She hasn't seen her. She calls another aunt down the street. She hasn't seen her again. It's six 30 in the morning. Right. So they're getting these phone calls. And they're like, I don't, I don't know where she is. So she's now starting to panic. And um, she tosses the phone to Harold and tell him, tells him to call nine one one. And she starts to go down the street um, screaming Asha's name up and down the sidewalk. So things from here progress pretty rapidly. Harold calls the like police. My worst oh, it's, sickening like how sickening. do you go into your children's room per night to like check on them like before you go to bed how often do i yeah like, i don't I mean, now I do 
Well, but, your well, kids they're older. ten and thirteen, so it's kind of like when they were like this age, like oh nine. yeah, oh yeah, no, I did like, a lot, dude. If I get up to go pee in the middle of the night, like I walk down the hallway, I pop in, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I guess it's maybe too much true crime, but like I check all the windows in the house. Well, and that's what Harold night. did, right? He did when he told her to yeah. go to bed, he tucked her in, and then at two thirty, he checks on her. I mean, yes, of course. Yeah. Oh, it's no, it's sickening. So he calls the police at six thirty nine a.m. It just so happens that an officer was kind of already out around that area. And so the first officer gets there at 642. I mean, within three to four minutes of him calling because he was just kind of already in that area. The sheriff arrives to the house next. Then more officers arrive. They begin asking for photos of Asha and they quickly call a canine unit out. So I will tell you, this was not a huge police department, but they also were mighty, right? They are strong yet mighty because they're doing, they're getting on, um, getting on everything very quickly. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> so before you know it, um, Akila, the mother later states that by 7 a.m., every cop in the County was there and that local news channels were there, newspapers, etc. And by eight 30, about 10 different organizations now had joined in the search. So different police departments, fire, a lot of people are out in the area looking for this child. Um, so by 12 o'clock, a highway patrol helicopter had been deployed and is searching the area. Uh, now a, there's a trucker named Jeff Roop, and he's having a lunch break. He was uh, it's, he hears on the news this story and he calls authorities immediately. He was a local trucker that drove the Sundrop bottling company truck. Um <clears throat> So he calls authorities when he hears this because he had not known anything about it. He's sitting there eating his, um, eating his lunch. So I'm just going to read straight from the article. It says that he saw a young girl walking with a book bag south on NC 18. So Highway 18 is the main highway in question. It's a two-lane highway that spans, I think, 147 miles or something in the direction of north to south there in Shelby City. And it's you know, it's like just a rural highway. Like think of truckers kind of barreling down the road. Uh, you'd probably take that to get to a lot of the different places in town. So this is actually the road she would take to go to school via bus. And in quotes, he says, I seen a little girl walking down the road with her book bag. She had on a little dress and white tennis shoes and her hair was in pigtails. So he found this odd and he turned his 10 wheeler truck around and drives back toward her. Remember, he's like a local driver for the Sundrop company. So it's not like he's not like a, you know, nationally driving big haul trucker. Uh, so he says he went back. He said, I went back, but she never did look up at me. She looked like she knew where she was going. She was walking at a pretty good pace. Uh, so he turns the truck around again and passes her for a third time as he resumes his normal route. As he passes by a third time, he notices that she veers off the highway into the fog and darkness, and he doesn't see her again. Keep in mind, it had been storming that night before. Big lightning storm as they were going to bed. By the time this is happening at like 4 a.m., it's still raining outside. So it's a child walking in the rain on the side of a highway. All right. So at 2 p.m. this afternoon, so he's called authorities now to tell them what I just told you, what he had seen. At 2 p.m., now this is Monday, you know, Valentine's Day, the 14th, the um, NCSBS, so the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, uh, they get there and they start to develop the house. So now they're not really looking at it like a crime scene, but they are securing the home. They tape it off and begin to interview family members. 
at 9 p.m., the sheriff announced that there had been two reported sightings. So now we have another sighting. And I'm going to read this one from the article as well. Roy Blanton Sr. and his son Roy Jr. were on a trucking run for Porter's Transport, Inc. heading north up North Carolina 18. So that's the highway we've been talking about. When they spotted someone walking south along the road. Concerned that the person might get hit by a truck, he used their CB radio to warn nearby truckers to be on the alert for the person by the road. He later said, he said it was a small figure wearing light colored clothing. I thought it was a woman. I couldn't tell if it was a child. I thought that maybe it was a domestic violence thing where a woman left the house and was out walking. So he did. So a lot of the questions are, why, why didn't they call immediately when they saw a child? You know, the first guy said he, he thought it was a kid. And then she went, she looked like she knew where she was going and she vanished into the fog. I think he was just kind of confused. This guy said, I mean, he thought it was a woman walking down. So you've got to think he was. It could have been. And it could have been. Could have been. He was traveling north on NC-18, this trucker. If she was traveling, or excuse me, he was traveling south on NC-18. She was traveling north. So that means in this rain, she's not only not beside him, she's on the other side of the road going in the opposite yeah. direction. So he only gets a glimpse of her. Now, I will say that authorities took these two tips very seriously because unlike a lot of other times, you know, when people call in all these conflicting stories or they've already heard stuff on the news, these two, no, no one described on the news what she had been wearing. She was wearing something different than what she had gone to bed in. Then these two stories corroborated each other and they were independent of each other. They, and they both, and what they said added up, it was the same place around the same exact time. So authorities did take this pretty seriously. Right, but what did she go to bed in? What was she wearing when she went to bed? Well, she had worn a gown to bed. But did they find but, the gown? Uh, no, they've not found the gown. So then it's safe to say that she left in a gown too and not some kind of like outfit, right? Potentially. Potentially. But let's so okay. So, okay. Even if that's the case, she threw on her shoes and left. Let's so like what I'm saying is that these guys probably did see somebody, but it, it could have been just a domestic violence. You know what I mean? It could have been somebody walking to work. I mean, yeah. Well, the other one, they said with the backpack and that's going to be important in a moment. And the first guy did think it was a little girl. Okay. He, he didn't okay. understand, but he thought it was the second guy. Did. Now, does she have a missing backpack, I guess, from the house? Because that would probably solve, that'd solve that part. Well, I think we're going to solve that part. All right, let's do so, it. So, um, <clears throat> let's see here. So, he was actually out of town. The one that I just read that about, he was out of town. He uh, actually was in Chicago by this point, I think, by the time he heard about this. So, or he hadn't even, um, excuse me, he did not hear about it. That's, he didn't call it in. He thought it was a woman. He was on the phone with his wife that night. And she starts to tell him about this case of this missing girl. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he remembered what he had seen that morning. And that's what spurred him to call authorities. So later that night, the police continued to interview Akila, Howard, and O'Brien, uh, other family members in that area. And then on the morning of February 15th, now it's Tuesday, the cops were pretty <clears throat> quick thinking, I think, and set up a checkpoint uh, on North Carolina Highway 18, where she had been kind of spotted or reportedly sighted uh, around the same time that she would have been gone. So somewhere between like 3 to 6 a.m., they set up a checkpoint right there in case there's, you know, they can find somebody traveling that area that either saw something or knows what happened. 
So the search, they said they got no clues from it. They did question everyone that they stopped, but they got no clues from that checkpoint. So the search expands now. As the area widens, there was a woman named Rally Turner and her daughter, Debbie, and they had the, she had like an upholstery company and she had quite a bit of property and a few outbuildings on her property that she kept like an old tractor in, chicken house, whatnot. It's a bit of a rural area. So they were asked if they could, if their land and outbuildings could be looked at. There were people at this point with dogs, people on horseback, uh, you know, it's a proper search. So they quickly agreed and they helped out. Well, as they're all looking, they find, they keep calling this a yellow hair bow. It's a, like a plastic clip, um, a yellow hair bow, white Atlanta Olympics pencil, a green marker, candy wrappers, and a wallet-sized photo of a little girl. So they give the photo to police, right? Because they're like, they, they, the mom and the daughter are kind of searching their own outbuildings at this point. And they keep in mind, there had been that giant storm the night before. And so often they said when the storm happened like that, sometimes like trash could wash down, like debris could wash down to that part of the property. I've seen that in my own yard. That's not unheard of. So when they saw like the marker and pencil, they didn't think much about any of that. But when they saw this photo, they, they didn't understand. So they hand that over to searchers who gives it to authorities. The photo, by the way, is not Asha. Okay. So they, the next morning on Wednesday, February 16th, authorities show the photo to Asha's family. They already know it's not Asha, but they want to know who this child is and did Asha know her. The family has no idea who this girl is. So at this time, um, it, it looks like the Turners haven't given over the pencil, the marker, and the bow. They thought it was unrelated, and they thought that since the family didn't know who was in that photo, that this was insignificant anyway, and that none of it had to do with Asha at all. <clears throat> but later that afternoon, police brought that Sundrop truck driver back to the area that he said he saw the girl at so he could physically point to them where he saw her. So he points to a spot that's actually near a field that opens up by the Turner's house where they found the, the picture and that other stuff. So that just kind of continues to corroborate some things. Um, and his name again was Jeff Roop. They did give him a polygraph and he cleared it. He's never been considered a suspect at all. Uh, on Thursday, February 17th, a member of the search party found a candy wrapper near the Turner's outbuilding. So when the Turner's were asked about it, they quickly remembered the other things they had found and hand over the pencil, the marker and the candy wrappers and the little bow, right? These were all turned into police and Asha's parents confirmed immediately that these were in fact her items. She had an Atlanta, Atlanta Olympic pencil, just like that. That was her hair bow. Um, and the candy wrappers were exactly the same kind of candy that had just been given to her that Saturday prior at the basketball game. So these were her things that were found. The picture still, we can't explain that. We don't know who that is. All right. <clears throat> so now we start to search to focus on that area, more concentrated on that Turner's property. So nothing happens now until August of 2001. All right, guys. So this was February 2000 initially. So now we're like a year and a half later. It's August 2001. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you about the next big development. So this man named Terry Fleming. All right. This is about 30 miles away. 
So 30 miles away from where Asha lived, there's this guy, Terry Fleming. He runs like excavation stuff. He's on a backhoe, all the things. And he's digging up some land <clears throat> for his job. So he was cutting a new road through the woods beside the highway. And he uncovered a bag that looked strange to him. He said that he dodged the bag for several hours, kind of going on with his work, clearing trees and underbrush from the roadside forest. So just kind of a big job he's got going on. And he said, I noticed it for a while and I didn't bother it. I go in and clean up mess areas all the time and you see trash. You don't think much about it. But for some reason, this looks strange to me. So it was a black bag, like a black trash bag. At first, he said, I thought something could be in it that I didn't want to open up in the heat. But something just kept drawing him back to it. And he even used his 47,000 pound tractor hoe to maneuver the bag, thinking it would just come open. But it didn't. So he finally threw it over and he opened it. It was a double line. So it was like two trash bags, two black trash bags. And inside it, a black and beige book bag was inside. He said that um, he didn't at the time describe everything he found. Uh, I guess they were kind of keeping it close with authorities. But when he looked at the contents, he said it was strange enough that I didn't feel comfortable with it. He said he tried to call someone about it <clears throat> at that time, but he was under some power lines and his phone wouldn't go out. He couldn't make a phone call. So he saw writing inside the book bag and copied it down on a piece of paper and took the paper home with him. He didn't remove any of what he saw in the book bag. He put his note aside <clears throat> that evening and he made some business calls. So he kind of comes home, does some work and goes to bed. <clears throat> Excuse me. The next morning he tells his wife about it and he tells her he's going to call this number that he found on this. There was a name and a phone number on that backpack and he was going to call the number. So when she heard the name on the backpack, she gasped. Remember, this was a year and a half after Asha went missing. Well, he'd never heard of the case, which I don't think is surprising. I mean, there's plenty of people who, you know, you say, do you remember right, that right, girl right. that, you know, no. I so, mean, I mean, even with this um, Carly Russell, I was talking to my dad. I was like, dad, I made a funny Carly Russell uh, podcast mm -hmm. last night. It was hilarious. And we're going to lie. And he was like, who's Carly Russell? Right. Yeah. So um, I don't find it strange that he didn't know who she was. So. So the wife gasped, though. She immediately told him about the news story she had heard about the little girl the year prior. So at 10 a.m., Terry Fleming called the Burke County Law Enforcement. Uh, police and FBI agents immediately secured that area and began to comb that land. Uh, and any evidence that they found was sent into the FBI Forensic Lab in Quantico, Virginia. And then a few days later, on August 13th, 2001, the police did confirm, in fact, that the backpack was Asha's. But the bags that contain the backpack weren't hers. They state that the new evidence suggests that Asha was abducted while leaving home and confirmed that the clothing in the backpack was also hers, just not what was she was wearing, not what she was wearing when she was spotted walking down the road. So what they found in that backpack were um, a pair of jeans that had like a red stripe down them. Another like a purple and black T-shirt. Mom confirmed that all of these things were in fact her clothes. All right. So like somebody kidnaps her and tells her to pack her own shit. Like but we have two, and then we'll find out later there were actually three eyewitness accounts of seeing a little girl in white walking down the side of the road with a backpack. What? So it it Why makes every bit this? of sense that she was actually walking alone. So we're gonna hypothesize on this at the okay. end. All right. Okay. But <clears throat> let me tell you what else was in that backpack. Okay. Her own clothing, these kinds of things. And then a new kid's on the block. They keep calling it a t-shirt. I saw a picture of it. It's a gown. I had almost the exact same one. Um, <laughs> little nightgown. And 
a book, um, a Dr. Seuss book. I'll pull it up. Mr. McElligot's pool or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Dr. Seuss book in that nightgown. Neither one of those belonged to Asha per her parents. They had never seen those two items um, in in their lives. So that's very odd. All right. I mean, I guess you could argue that she got them from her cousin's house when she spent the night at the sleepover or something, maybe. Um, I don't know. But either way, those were not her items. So nothing else happens. That was in 2001. All right. So 14 years later, on Monday, February 9th of 2015, the FBI offered a reward of $25,000 for any leads. And the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children created a new age progression photo of Asha. And that's the photo that I believe um, we had a picture up earlier of mom and dad holding. Yep. And there's another one as well. Mm-hmm. Holding an age progression photo um, on Wednesday, May 15th, 2016. Authorities get a tip that someone matching Asha's description was seen getting in a vehicle on North Carolina Highway 18 where she was last seen. Oh, so it's interesting, though, right? Because now 16 years have gone by and now they're getting this tip that someone remembers very clearly. It's kind of in the wake of the news story coming back out. It was described as an early 1970s Lincoln Mark four or potentially a Ford Thunderbird of the same year. Dark green, either one of which in the year 2000 would be cars that kind of stand out to your eye. Right They're in the year 2000, these were still some kind of vintage cars. So it was actually considered a vehicle of interest. So the FBI took that lead so seriously that they tried to develop it. They put it out in the public. Like I said, they called it a vehicle of interest. They were very interested in this. So I don't know the details of what the tip said. No one does, but whatever they told the FBI, they seem to feel like it was weighted heavily enough to um what are these the uh was this the car right here well those are just ideas of those kinds of cars like okay. somebody said let me like let me just blow your mind really quick when i was a cop sitting in my cop car there there was a woman who went missing and i believe you and i might have covered this case she went missing from from the mall like yeah is she the, the one that 70s. solved her own killer because he like killed her inside her car in the parking lot? No, I, her DNA was, was found on him like later. Okay, sorry. Maybe that maybe. was a mall one. But anyway, it was a green car identical to this, and it was an unsolved case out of North Carolina. And the last place the car was saw was was seen was in Raleigh, North Carolina, and this is the picture. I mean, at least it's the most identical car. To what they thought that that car looked like. And I actually saw one on my beat and took pictures of it. I never did anything with it, but I thought in my brain, I like, it's so crazy. There's an, another unsolved North Carolina case with this exact car. And it was last seen near the Snoopy's in Raleigh in like 1970 something. I'm going to find the case while you talk. This is yeah, bizarre. I, I'm seriously, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll find it. Hold on. You okay. Yeah. That's super weird. Also, listen, pay attention to though, because it's weird. But so again, they just, they did seem very interested in this tip. So on Tuesday, October 8th of 2015, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office put up a Facebook post and I'm going to read to you what they said. Um, 
they described the case and asked for everybody in the community for help with new possible clues on the case. And they say, in quote, our investigation, <clears throat> excuse me, our investigative team has discovered two items of interest that could possibly provide new leads about Asha's disappearance. The first one is a library book. If you or someone you know had this Dr. Seuss library book, McGellicott's Pool is shown on the screen. They had a picture of it. Around the time of Asha's disappearance and lost track of it, please call us. Library records do not go back to the year 2001. The second item of interest is a t-shirt like this one, and they show the new kids on the block uh, gown, and it said they describe who the new kids on the block are. Um, if you had a t-shirt or gown like this or know someone who did at any point in time, please call us. Now, they released that information, like I said, in 2015. They found it, though, in 2001. The interesting thing about that book is what they, this is, it gets a little confusing. What they've said about that Dr. Seuss book is that it was actually a library book from her elementary school. Um, okay. But there, she, they, they confirmed that she did not check it out. So they say that their records don't go so far back as to 2000. I would assume that in 2001, they did have the records from the prior school year. And for whatever reason, maybe with a good memory or whatever, they know that she didn't check it out. But they also say they can't verify who did. But it did come from her school. And her parents had never seen the book. But they say that she didn't check it out. I don't know. The book thing is a weird one. Um, I even looked up what the book was about in case that was some weird clue. But it just has to do with, like, um, someone being frustrated that they couldn't, like, stifle like childhood, like basically joy, like someone like a kid is like wanting to fish and just enjoy his day. And there's like the bad guy is trying to like not let him have this like innocent joy. So I don't okay. know. It's, it's weird. The book thing is a weird one for me in 2000. We're going to take it back a couple of years on a separate note in 2014, this guy named Donald Ferguson was arrested. He was charged with the murder of a Greensboro girl named Shalonda Poole in 1990. That little girl was seven at the time. He raped her and strangled her and left her body behind a building. They started looking into Donald Ferguson into in this case. Uh, there were some other similarities there. We've got a few weird leads. Like uh, there were a couple of, I feel like, just false calls. One guy called and said that he knew what happened to her and he could tell you where she was. And then you come to find out that like he was trying to get himself into a different jail where you find out that his other inmate friends were like starting a coup or going to try to like escape from the jail. So that just fell flat. There was another call from a different inmate who at this point was serving a lot of time for something else. So he didn't mind to talk in hopes that it would lessen the sentence he currently had. And he said that uh, he knew what happened because he was actually involved in a drug deal that night and that he wasn't driving, but uh, it was raining and the driver bumped something, hit something, and they realized oh. it was a person and that the driver put the person in the back of the truck and it was a little girl and that he dropped the driver, dropped him off at home and left. He later came back and didn't have the little girl with him and said that she was done or dead and he got rid of her and told him where he put her. So he was trying to use that to barter for a lesser sentence for the crime he was currently in prison for. Uh, but they followed up where he said that she would be located. Nothing 
came of that. They dredge the lakes all around. They've used ground penetrating radar. They've only so far as found animal bones. Um, now where her backpack was found, that did become, as you can imagine, quite an area of investigation. Authorities did later say that if anything, they're much more concentrated on that area to this day, saying that maybe someone who lives around that part of town could be implicated in this. Again, that was 30 miles from her home. Uh, they are looking less and less at her home area. So when they did find the backpack, the only other things that we know of they found, now we don't know what else they sent off for evidence. Uh, they've been kind of quiet on some things. But they did uh, find animal bones and along with them some khaki pants. Now, they've not let us know anything other than to say that they don't think the pants are involved or related with this case, but they were right near where the backpack was found. So that's kind of an interesting little point. Um, so the FBI did actually formulate a behavioral profile of a suspect in the case, but they've never released that to the public. So we don't know what they are going to say would be the type of person who might be doing this. Uh, earlier on, the police did put that picture of the girl in the paper. Now, this is something that just kind of gets washed over. And it's another thing when I read about this case or hear people talking about it, that seems to be the biggest frustration because that's vital. I, whatever it even is, the picture looks a little bit old. Like it looks like it could have been an older photo at the time. But the girl in the picture looks a little bit younger than Asha, maybe around seven-ish. And again, no one they took it to her school. None of the school administrators or staff could pinpoint who that child was. No one knows who in the neighborhood. No one knows who this child is. They did put it in the paper, but they put it in the paper for like a Thursday morning paper. just kind of a rando right. day. And it was at like toward the bottom of page 75. So <laughs> like, you know... Good luck. Nothing. Yeah, nothing came of it, but I'm not sure why anything would have come of that, you know? So I do think that that picture needs to be way more widely circulated even now because it just kind of never was. Now, I will say that um, I, I don't know. There's a couple of things, like a couple of um, interviews that mom and dad did that potentially they could have shown that photo for some reason, but I kind of doubt it because I, I would imagine they're showing photos of their daughter and not of this child they don't know. So um, mom and dad went on like Montel a month after this happened. Oprah ran a small segment on the case. Uh, it was in a few different news outlets. But that picture is haunting to me because was that an accident? Did someone have that and they dropped it? You know, it was with her belongings in that outbuilding at the Turner's house uh, with her mm -hmm. pencil and her bow. The thought is that maybe she went to the Turner's outbuilding, that shed area where her pencil and bow and candy wrappers were found. Um, oh, a candy wrapper was also found on the road, not far from there, the side of the road. So it's literally like a little Hansel and Gretel. We've got, uh, we've got sightings, we have candy wrappers, then we have some more of her items. So you can actually build a physical kind of trail of where she was heading and they all add up to each other. You know, some speculate that she was going to the outbuilding to get out of the elements because it was raining still that morning. Um, no one, one of the points you'll hear people talk about is that uh, they were reading a book in school about like the whipping boy, about this boy that basically it's like, like a normal class or lower class, whatever boy and like this rich prince and that whenever the prince gets 
you know, does the wrong thing, the boy has to take his whippings. Like that's kind of how this story goes. And that in the story, at some point, the prince and the boy have bonded. They've become friends and they decide to run away together as friends and to get away from this place that they're living. That's so yucky. So some have kind of, I think, a bit widely speculated that the that at that sleepover, maybe she and some of the girls joked and talked about the idea of running away. Now, I will tell you the family has been heavily investigated. I understand that people can hide things. There are no there's no reason to think that something bad was happening at home because that's another train of thought that she was trying to, you know, leave home because something was happening there. Um, no family members, no friends, the neighbors, everyone spoke highly of the whole family. There's nothing to indicate that anything there um, would have been something she would have been running away from. And then uh, a very important note, I think she was nine years old. All right. It's the middle of the night. Most nine-year-olds already wouldn't want to take off on foot in the middle of the night, much less in a storm. This child was known to be extremely afraid of dogs, extremely afraid of the dark, extremely afraid of thunder. So like she, her brother, her mom and dad, everyone corroborated this. She, most kids kind of get jumpy at these things. She was terrified. So the idea that she would just take off on her own, but everything points to the fact that she did and that she maybe then got abducted after. Hmm. So, well, okay. So L wall just right, said meeting someone sense. online, but she didn't meet anyone online. This was the year 2000. Like they didn't have a computer. Right. And even if she had a computer at, I think that we forget guys how quickly technology has advanced. Even if they had a computer at school or at the church or the library, the online chat forms in the year 2000, this child wouldn't have been on that. So she didn't, you know, now, unless she found someone, there was someone in the community um, that, that groomed her and that at some point talked her into leaving for some reason. Uh, I don't know it. None of this, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. And to this day, it's, I mean, what I've told you is as far as we've gotten in anything. Uh, and I mean, at one point there was a $45,000 reward. I'm not sure if that's back down or not. The family put up a billboard, um, on the road, the last area that she was seen walking. And every year around that time, they do a walk with community members from their home to that billboard just to raise awareness and things like that. But um, I, I don't know. I, this one stumps me and it, you know, it's heartbreaking. I don't, it doesn't make any sense at all. So, uh, you know, so it was, I was, uh, I went back and was, I was looking at the, mm -hmm. uh, the, it was the Martinko case. Yeah, Michelle Martinko. Right. And the last time they saw the car was in Raleigh, North Carolina. And that was the car. Oh, his car. Yeah, that's yeah. the one that we call that she um she solved her own murder after death because she right. fought to the she fought hard and yeah. they didn't have the DNA technology at the time. And later they were able to develop what they had found like under her fingernails and it was his DNA. Right. Yeah. That was the, the <clears throat> green car there though. That's crazy. Uh, anyway. Green cars yeah. like that. Those old green cars they stick out. I guess everybody had a green car back then. Yeah, but this was the year 2000, which is why that green car stuck out. Oh, you that's know? true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, that's just I don't bizarre. Know. Like, how did, like, maybe was she sleepwalking? So that's a theory that I've heard someone say. So oh, listen, also my, my, my kid sleepwalks. Well, mm -hmm. I, he doesn't do it very often. But when he's like really, really overly tired, he'll sleepwalk. 
So I block all the doors in the house mm-hmm. with weights. I put dumbbells, Ashley's dumbbells in front of all the doors mm-hmm. just in case he tries to sleepwalk out the door. Yeah. But you know, so- my parents thought I went missing when I was a child because I had slept walk outside of the camper and then they were freaking out. They woke up. I don't remember this obviously, but I was like three or four. They couldn't find me. They were running. My mom was screaming and they went to go get a, uh, my dad or I think it was, I don't know. My, I think my mom stayed to keep looking at my dad. I went to go get a ranger. And then I had woke up. My mom said, I just like crawled out from underneath the camper and was like, what, what are you guys yelling about? Yeah. And those stories so, always haunted me. So I, that's why I put like weights in front of the doors just so the kids can't. So people do crazy out. things when they sleepwalk, right? There's even a case of a potential murder that happened when someone was sleepwalking and they used it as their defense. And I think got off on that. So this keep in mind too, I think a, a point I didn't note is that the front door and the back door were locked and inside her backpack was also found a house key because remember she had one because she would come home from school and have a little bit of downtime before parents got home. Her backpack had her key in it and both doors were locked. They've actually, as far as I can tell, or they've not released to the public, if they know whether she left via the front door or the back door, everything was as is. Nothing was out of place. No windows propped open. No, nothing. Like, it's like, so if she took off on her own, she opened the door, locked it back and kept walking, which you can do if you're sleepwalking. A lot of people argue well, that she wouldn't be sleepwalking in the rain, locking the door. My, my, that's not, well, my, my house was built in the early nineties, but when you close, when you, if my doors are locked, like let's say the uh, front door is locked, I can open it from the inside. And if I step outside and close it, it's still locked from the outside. That's just certain. Yeah. Certain it doesn't, do it does not unlock. And they didn't specify whether or not it was a deadbolt though, by the way. So that's kind of what I pictured they meant, but. Uh, yeah, like all the doors way, in my house. Know. That's why we lock ourselves out constantly at our house. I have one um, door that does that, and it drives me nuts. But yeah, it, so you so it could be that she let herself out, shut the door, and then couldn't get back in. I mean, because they saw her walking alone, you know right? I mean? Three people. So another one, the one that came up later, said that he saw her walking and turned back around and actually um, tried to approach her, like he 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 knew how odd it was to see a child at that time of night in the rain. And when he did that, she fled into the woods, which wasn't particularly woods, but it was the tree line on the side of the road. So Mm. these are three, like I said, independent witnesses that all are saying the exact same thing. And it would line up with the time that after dad went to bed and the kid brother saw her get up to go potty. Like, so I I don't know. Um, You can, the Q center, I talk about the Q center often. They've covered her case. They are still working at the, um, community united effort here in North Carolina. Also, of course, the local FBI is doing that. Uh, The um, Cleveland County Police Department there in Shelby City, North Carolina is still working it. You can call the Center for Missing and Exploited Children if you have any tips. We'll put this up on Facebook. But this one is I really want to share. I don't want any confusion, but I want to share the photo that they found. Um, Again, I think that's a really important thing. Uh, and then I want to also share her case again. But they don't know who that girl is. We still don't know who that girl is. But I don't know. But again, it wasn't widely circulated. So even if a family member could have seen it and identified this child, maybe they just didn't see it because it ran toward the back of the paper on a Thursday. Like, you know, it's not like it was blasted on social media and all that, you know. Gosh. So... 
It's so strange. It is so strange. But anyway, we can talk. Well, about remember it. at the beginning of the episode, I talked about that every you know because this was oh. in the two thousands. Um, uh, they were talking about uh, Slim Shady. Here's Zac Efron right now. Pete Davidson. Jonah Hill. Ooh, what's he doing? Why Dude, they're it, all why? doing it? I'm telling why you. Why does he not have a shirt on though? Ryan Sheckler did it. Ryan Sheckler did it. It's terrible. Um, I don't know. Everybody's going straight slim shady from the year 2000. But he's not doing it. He went brunette now. He's got like a beard and he's brown. Oh, but he's old. He's old. Um, I mean, he's pushing your age at this point. Um, but man, how Pete old's Jonah Dave? Hill? Huh? Oh, Jonah Hill. Oh, uh, he looks old. There. Ages, probably the same age as Ross Patterson. It's terrible. Zero movies together. It's hideous. Oh damn, we're the same age. Me and Joni are the same age. God, look uh-huh. at Pete. How old's Pete Davidson? God, he looked like he died yesterday. That's He's a, always had those dark eyes. That is an ugly dude. But Pete's man, he must 29. be young. 29? Oh 29. man. 1993. At least he's funny. They say is if you're ugly, if you're funny, you're good to go. Doesn't matter. As long as you're funny. Um, gosh, and that is a that's an insane case. And uh yeah. hopefully they'll discover something something yeah. more soon. I mean, it just sounds bizarre, man. That yeah, bizarre I'm, I'm invested in this one. That's crazy. But and then I will keep you guys up to date on those three bodies found here of the young marines. That's wild. Yeah, gosh, that's Golly. uh that's I'm gonna go ahead and say like fentanyl or something like nefarious like that. They literally or... came out to say we're ruling out an overdose like this was not drugs i mean i don't know but i don't know why they yeah, said they it you know what i mean i don't know why they would have i mean like they might have said it if there's bullet holes in them yeah you know, know what i mean and they're not putting it out i mean i don't know that's that seems a little ish you know i, I, I don't, don't know. know i mean i did some really stupid shit in the military um obviously we sometimes we would drink a little too much and and then drive and and one time i we knew that we had consumed too much alcohol. And so we pulled over into a neighborhood and then we ended up into a ditch into somebody's front yard. And we had all, everybody gotten out of the car to kind of like get away from it. So nobody got in trouble. And uh, I woke up in a ditch sleeping, but I went to sleep. But when I woke up, I woke up at like nine 30 in the morning and I was already sunburned from sleeping uh, in the hot blazing sun. North Carolina. Uh, could these guys gotten drunk pulled over in their car, Passed went to out. sleep and yes. realized it's going to yeah, get hot could've. real quick. But I would we... think that the cameras from that gas station would indicate that. Right. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm guessing like maybe like some kind of fentanyl thing or unless they were all vaxxed recently. Um, yeah, speaking yeah. of which, did you see LeBron James's kid? I did see that today. Mm-hmm. Well, that, this shit never happened four or five years ago. It wasn't just, Dropping, dropping celebrities, all these. Yeah, I will say it's dropping. a lot, a lot more. It's it's really. Shit. I mean, maybe that it's just more on the news now, but I mean, I don't just. It just seems, seems like it's becoming more and more of a thing with these younger, these younger athletes. I don't know, I don't um, know. Strange times so, we're living in, but I hope they guys, find this this little girl. I do too. I do, oh, or something. I just hope something. Um, moving forward, and then I want to. We can talk after the show too. But so, uh, minor league studios. Bill Schofield has been doing a lot of, uh, did like a lot of merch work for a lot of people. Like he was doing the Drinking Bros stuff. He's done for um, if 
Beth and Greg are listening. I think did did he do one more? And I'm out of here. Keith was in the chats. He's done a lot of different, a lot of the podcasts you guys listen to. He's been doing um, merch for them, and he's got kind of a great little setup over there. And so he reached out a couple months ago, and I finally pulled the trigger and have some stay awake shirts. We're trying to get the name out there. So now that it's not night shift tonight, it's stay awake, right? So that works, guys, right? Stay awake. Don't let Freddy Krueger come get you. I don't know, whatever, but it's crime. So uh, we've got those shirts out. So if you do some liking and sharing, I always say that I'm going to do a contest and then I tell you about it and then we don't do it. So I'm going to commit this time. I will send somebody a new shirt and then hopefully we can get some more um, failure to stop stuff out there. Maybe some comm center. I talked to John about that today. So that would be a lot of fun, but um, want to upper ante on all that stuff and then check out some of our YouTube stuff too. And then Patreon's going off the chain. Eric just did a Patreon with officer Daniels recently. He's got another super amazing one. I won't tease it yet. I'll let Eric do that uh, coming up. Right, Eric? Yeah, it's with... Um, I didn't know if you were telling it yet. Oh, I don't, yeah, I, I don't really... I don't really care. Um, yeah, we, we've got a bunch of Patreons coming up. I think Drew is posting a post about it or something like that. Uh, but it's, if you want to know really quick, it is with uh, Conservative Vont, C-O-N-S, uh, Conserve... <laughs> It's hard to read it. Yeah, it's Anthony uh, Ramondi. He's super funny. He's got like 290-something thousand. He's just a very funny political comedy guy. But um, if you want to go and follow him, it's Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-R-A-I-M-O-N-D-I. And his uh, his handle is Conservative Viant. Like, oh, conservative savant, basically. Yeah. Anyway, really funny guy. Blue check mark, dude. I love him. I don't need to know his name to like him. I think he says, yeah, pop that up. Yeah, there he is. All the funny videos. He's got a bunch of them. Anyway, he and I are going to have steaks, uh, T-bones with Tansy on the Patreon. So uh, thank you guys for everybody subscribing. I thought the um, Officer Daniels episode was hilarious. From But um, also Uncuff Monday was probably one of the funniest shows I've been on. Uh, Jay Durrell white had a lot to say about Carly Russell and it's also on. Point. Oh, that's so, a great new, that's a great true crime development, meaning not one at all. Yeah. Fuck that girl, dude. Like she can get fucked 10 different ways. I don't care. Um, I, I mean, she wastes. I mean, she's just, when you chalk it all down you look at the totality, she's just a spoiled rotten brat is what she is she's yeah i don't know anything brat. about her like i've not looked she's into her you know what I mean? like her other than the fact that uh, rotten brat and jay Durrell goes all into it i mean their family is super rich mommy and daddy it. have never told her she's done anything wrong even all the pictures the parents went and made the missing posters with like 40 cents a sheet cardstock with a picture of her in new york like a glamour shot of her like like you know what i mean like if yeah, you're yeah, missing yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to have like a a full, dead yeah, on yeah, yeah. but it's like yeah yeah well oh, there's I one see. of them there that's not even the one where she's like looking off into the distance but like every photo is just glamour shot after glamour uh, you gotta listen to you gotta listen to jay Durrell on this one he loved he ate her up he ate her lunch after he saw the family's interview and he just he he had to he had to yeah there it is look at this picture oh man yeah and then the parents being like absolutely there's an abductor out there like oh nope no there's not um so anyway that was a really fun episode to to hear a real comedian um go off on but yeah guys uh thank you guys for joining in on uh on the show tonight and we will see you guys 
tomorrow live at noon uh live at a live at noon for last call lots of breaking news on last call going on in the uh in the other worlds other than first responder life so uh, if you want to stay informed tomorrow's the day to do that until next time for myself and andrea uplay guns up and giddy up good night y'all